To the Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. I'm doing a series called Death by Fentanyl, a podcast series with some of the greatest activists in this area. And I am so fortunate tonight to have Andrea Thomas with me. She is an amazing woman who, after the death of her daughter, Ashley, back in 2018, at the age of 32, she created organizations to make sure that everyone will understand what is going on in our country and the incredible um, deadly poison of fentanyl that has affected all communities in the United States, especially. These pills and these granules that are so small that are laced into cocaine and meth and even even marijuana um, are killing our, our people, are killing our youngest people. Right now, ages of eight, I think it's 15 to 40, um, are the ones who have the highest rate of death by fentanyl. Ashley, as I said, was only 32. And she is survived by a little boy named Daniel her son, who was eight at the time of her death, and Ashley and her husband Chuck are raising, raising young Daniel. She is the voiceforawareness.com founder. She also has another site called facingfentanylnow.org. And she has a Facebook group, which is exact, excuse me, the exact same name, Facing Fentanyl. But one of her shining accomplishments to me is that she was able to get a day every year that's considered National Fentanyl Prevention and Awareness Day. And it is now going to be each August 21st. About a week ago, she had an amazing event in New York City, which we will talk about, even to the point where her name, her her company, or I should say her organization's name, was shine, shining brightly in Times Square on all the um, billboards, the electronic billboards up in Times Square. So I am very fortunate that she is with me today. And I thank you, Andrea, for being here tonight and for taking the time to tell us your story about your lovely daughter, Ashley, and how everything transpired in your life afterwards. Well, thank you for having me, Mary. Um, my daughter, Ashley, was uh, our, my firstborn born child and one of four. So she was the first love of my life, right? <laughs> she was born uh, overseas in Germany. Her dad was in the service, and so we were stationed there for some time. And, uh, you know, those first few years, she was really all that I knew, you know, so we were very, very bonded, um, 
in so many ways, right? Aside from being mother and daughter, but we were just always together. It was just us. So, um, you know, soon when Ashley was three or four years old, I, I had a second child, Devin, and Ashley and Devin were very close. She was his mentor and, you know, his teacher for everything. And she guided him. So they were locked at the hip, right? The <laughs> uh, and everything that he did. And then, of course, her grandparents, her being the first grandchild on both sides of our families. Oh, my. She was the princess, right, of the family. So this young lady had so much energy, uh, so kind-hearted, very intelligent, and uh, always there to help everyone. So even when she was little, had a great personality. Uh, my daughter walked into the room with 20 strangers. Uh, she would have 20 friends when she left that room. Oh, how nice. She uh, was very, like I said, kind-hearted. She did not know her strengths, uh, and she had so many. And, um, you know, losing Ashley was horrific to all of us. It changed our family dynamic forever. Sure. And we, we still battle that today. We, we remember Ashley um, in every way that we can. Always, every day, I see her smile bright in my head every day. And we make the most of our memories with Ashley and who she was through our advocacy. So I think that, um, you know, re receiving that phone call the morning that I lost my daughter didn't even seem real to me, you know. Where, where was she at that time? And where were we, you? We live in Grand Junction, Colorado. Okay. Uh, in 2018, you know, Ashley had an eight-year-old son and I, I have played a large part in his life. We've, we've had him since he was born. And so uh, even though Ashley was his mother, we spent a lot of time with him and he was also very close with his mother and father. And um, I received a phone call on June 11th, 2018, early in the morning. And I'd had a horrible night's sleep. I felt sick because I was so, um, it was a turbulent night. I'd not ever felt like that before in my life. Oh and my. I don't know why. And, uh, it was time to go to work. And I, I told my husband, I'm, I'm going to need to sleep in a little bit today. I, I felt sick through the night. I had a rough night and I'll be into work a little bit late. We worked together and, uh, he was gone about 10 minutes and my phone rang. And it was Ashley's father saying that she had taken something and she was, she died. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever heard. Why, what could she have taken that killed her? Right. Uh, and it, surely that was not true. And I thought he was insane. You know, I, and I said, well, let me, I need to find out what's going on. And I, got dressed as fast as I could while we were speaking. And I called my husband and my older sons and told them we needed to meet and we needed to find my daughter. And we needed to find out why somebody would be saying this mm -hmm. about her. And when I reached my older son, my oldest son, I was already in the car and I was driving into town. And when he answered the phone, his voice was inaudible. I had never heard him sound like that. So I knew that he had received a phone call like I had. So I, I began to call the hospitals and all of those things in my drive into town, trying to keep calm enough, right, to figure out what was going on. And when I got into town and reached the meeting place where my husband and my sons were, um, I could just tell by the looks on their faces, right? that this was true. They knew it by the time I, I got into town and reached them. So my reaction was 
you know, you think you would just lose your breath. And although that's what happened, my reaction to my older son was to, you know, grab him, shake him, say, please never take anything, you know, because I didn't understand what she could have taken or, or even what happened. And there was a nearby church, like really next door to where we were at. And that was our family church where my kids were baptized, you know, first communions, all those things. And oh, my. Said, we need to go over there and we need to gather ourselves a minute. And because the next steps would be to tell my grandson. right? And he had spent the evening with the other grandparents. And so I knew he was safe, but I had to get to him right away. And also to my parents. And so we went there and did gather ourselves and my my grandson's father came and we had to make a plan and we went straight to my grandson and gave him this news. And he was so young and we had raised him Catholic school, all of that. And so he had faith even at a young age and he understood that his mother was an angel, but he didn't know why either. And then we had to tell my parents and my daughter, my young daughter. And that was horrific, you know, to see my mother fall and just horrified, right? That her granddaughter was gone. And the same with my youngest daughter. So those are moments that you never, uh, you can feel when you talk about them, you can feel them as if they're happening right now. They're just burned in your mind. Sure. And these are the devastations that this terrible drug causes families. Um, to be a mother mourning her child and not be able to help those around you, you know, your other children, because they're suffering so much, you know. But it's very hard to uh, even stand yourself. Yeah. Uh, in times like that. So this is what families across America face today. And it's important. It's not comfortable to talk about these uh, moments in our lives, but we want people to know. We desperately want them to know because we want to prevent this from happening to their families. We, we can't do anything to reverse time for ourselves and uh, to undo this injustice tragedies for all these families but certainly we can help to prevent others from going through what we have so i remember um the day after the day of ashley's service you know that's it's very important to me to have everything the best that i could it was the last thing that i felt that i could do for my daughter during that week mm -hmm. so it needed to be a certain way it needed to be the best mm -hmm. way in my yeah. mind. Yep. And um, did you have it at that church that she was raised in? We had a service at that church. And then we had a service at the mortuary that was packed. There were people clear into the parking lot. Wow. Um, it was important to me to be able to have the strength to talk about my daughter like she really was and uh, to honor who she was. And that was very painful to be able to do that and have to be strong for my grandson. Um, so after that service, we went to our home. We have a large property that we were able to bring everybody in, all of her friends uh, and our family to, you know, celebrate her life. And it was important to me that that's what we did. And it was unconventional. Most you know, most of the time after a service, people are quiet and they eat and there's a lot of crying and that type of thing. But um, my daughter loved her friends very much. And it was important for me to have them celebrate her life like they wanted to. So there was music and things she would have liked there. And they did that. And oh, my lovely. My girlfriends pulled me into a room, uh, into the bathroom that evening and said, we have to show you something. And at this point, I did not know how, you know, what it was really that killed my daughter. I still didn't have an understanding. I, I had heard of this fentanyl. One of the investigators said something to me about it. 
and but I still wasn't clear on what it was and and my only focus was this service during that week and they took me in the bathroom and showed me a PSA that was on their they had, that had come up on one of their phones and it was about these two blue pills it had the picture of the two blue pills right and it was about fentanyl and it was from my local police department ah I knew at that point, if the police department had put that out, that Ashley was not the only one. There had to be more. And it was warning of the dangers of these pills. Uh, the the person that gave Ashley this pill, you know, for, Ashley suffered from pancreatitis. And it was very painful sometimes. And the person that gave her the pill was her boyfriend. Oh, my. He... He uh, did not know about fentanyl, I don't believe, either. And he, in his own distress, and he took his life the day after Ashley died. And so oh, during the... Oh, my God. There were two families that were forever devastated from a half of a pill, right? From a, a half of a pill. Uh changed many many people's lives and took away the people we love the most right so when they showed me this picture of this pill i knew i had to do something i just didn't know what mm -hmm. and the next day i remember waking up and not wanting to get out of my bed because during that time you wake up crying mm -hmm. you go to sleep crying it is like Groundhog Day every day. Like it's just happened for many, many days after you lose a child. True. And other mothers would agree with me. And so that next day when I woke up, I didn't want to get out of the bed. I could not imagine, you know, what was next. But I knew that my best friends were there. They'd all come into town. They had all helped me very much during that time. And I knew they were leaving that day. And I had to get up. I had to thank them. I mean, they were there for everything for me for that whole week. And when I got out of the bed and walked down the hall there, they all stood, you know, gathered together and they had the cup of coffee and they were just all looking at me like, what's going to happen now? You know, and they looked, I felt just as bad for them as they probably felt for me because I didn't know what to do to console them either, you know, but they were there and so I said, we have to make some phone calls. Let's get a paper and a pen, and we need to start making some phone calls. And we went out to my patio and sat down and drank our coffee and began to discuss who we could contact to talk to about these pills and to warn people. And we made some phone calls. And I used to have a salon and a boutique that I ran with my daughter. And I called my media person. I hadn't spoken with her in quite some time. And when I called her, I told her I needed the media. And within five minutes, I had all my local media contacting me. And we set interviews up. Wonderful. And they were my home the next day. And we began to talk about it. And I was told not to talk about it. We needed to wait for quiet <laughs> and all of those things and so I never wanted to jeopardize a case and I never did anything that would have jeopardized my daughter's case but I wasn't I did not have to be silent about fentanyl right. and so we began telling everyone that we could and no one was listening five years ago Ashley was one of the DEA says of eight that were were uh poisoned by one distributor bringing these pills into our town. Uh, I did my own investigation and we found 14 victims related oh, to one dealer. And he has since been prosecuted and served two life sentences. It will serve two life sentences and two 20 year sentences. Oh, phenomenal. He had many of his family members, his own children selling for him. Oh. And so I knew when I found out who he was and what he was capable of, he wasn't a user himself. He was a distributor, a felon, previous felon. Lovely. And I, yes. And so when I knew that he had his own children in this business, young children, young, beautiful, smart, intelligent children, distributing for him that 
if he didn't care for his own child, how would he ever even feel remorse for mine or any of the others? And so we were very headstrong and active uh, in his prosecution. And in that case, I knew it inside and out. Uh, I began working with the DEA at that time and was blessed that they came in on that case. And otherwise, my daughter would have been another overdose, right? Another and book close, end of story. Yeah. Like so many families that I know. So because of that, I have a lot of families reach out to me asking for help. I'm not a miracle worker. I, I'm not a lawyer or law enforcement. I just know what I did for my daughter in my daughter's case. And I did a lot of things I would not advise anybody else to do. I was a mother and found myself in some pretty precarious situations during that time uh, with other distributors and people that weren't so good trying to get this information. And I sat in a lot of courts looking for this distributor, a lot of uh, drug cases. And what I saw were the same people going in and out. They were being arrested. Law enforcement was doing their job. They were bringing them in. And the same people would appear on these blotters week after week, right? But they were walking right back out. Uh, there was no accountability. So that became very important to me. So yeah. early on, I started Voices for Awareness, and I felt it was important to work with other families. Uh, I started learning about other families, and I started working with Partnerships for Safe Medicines, which now I am a, a advisory board member for them. But, but when I started, they were my foundation. They taught me about all counterfeit drugs, not just fentanyl. Mm-hmm. They mentored me to learn that I was a mother and I didn't have to walk into, say, an interview like this or before a Senate uh, office. I didn't need to know about laws. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm a mother. And they taught me that that story was important. Yes, Absolutely. So many of our moms, just like me, that didn't know anything about fentanyl when they lost their child have become experts because this is the work that we do every day, all day long. So what I didn't know then, I know so much about now and the ins and outs of this horrible drug, but uh, that was a great foundation for me. So I started Voices in in, uh, 2018 bringing awareness to my community. And it was very, they were very resistant to that. And through partnerships for safe medicines, I was able to uh, be in DC in Washington, DC within the first six months of Ashley's death and, you know, testifying or, or uh, speaking at house and Senate briefings on the cartels and counterfeits. So they really taught me a lot and let me work out of, just the state of Colorado, right? I was able to, to voice uh, my advocacy in, in many other places. And at the beginning of last year, uh, we began to work legislation here in Colorado. And that was very uncomfortable for me because taking part in that legislative work, I believed that the people that worked on these laws knew what they were talking about, that they would be educated. And, they, <laughs> they be, and you uh, kind of found out otherwise. <laughs> I did. I did that they didn't know what they were talking about at all. Mm-hmm. And I found out that it is very easy for them to, um, I was real clear on what was going on, but there were newer families that had just, gone through this horrible experience and they were so desperate for help and so desperate for answers. I feel like they were used during that time. So that was a very uncomfortable position for me to be in. So it was important to me to build something bigger for families. And one night in desperation, I you know, late nights we sit around we're thinking I'm on the computer all the time, I'm working. And I was sitting with or on the phone with my best friend, which is also my co-founder to my organization. Uh, and we were talking about some type of a proclamation for the state of Colorado that 
you know, we could get more attention for this and get the word out. And in that, uh, she said, what, what would it be if to have a national day? And I said, I don't know. So we Googled it and I found a marketing tool that you could purchase a, a calendar day. And so I pushed the buttons and put in the information and I've got a good friend, Jim Raw, that you, you're familiar with. He's been on your show. I put his data into that, uh, into the day, into building it and pushed a button. And in the morning, I woke up to a confirmation of that day. It cost me a little bit of money and I paid the money. And then as soon as I did it, I thought, what in the heck am I going to do now? <laughs> so I called Jim up in my frantic, you know, and I'm, I'm sleep deprived. I don't really know what I've done. And I call Jim and I say, Jim, I just did this thing and I used your data. And, you know, would you do this with me? And he said, of course, I'll do anything you need. And I said, well, let's, can we talk this weekend and, you know, decide where we're going to, what we're going to do with this. And he said, no, absolutely not. He said, you, someone is dying in this country every five minutes. We don't have time to wait for the weekend. Get on your computer right now and push the button. Tell everybody. And I was scared to death, you know, I, <laughs> no. there's a lot of families out there and, and they might not take well to that uh, without a discussion, you know, a discussion amongst each other. Right? right. So I thought the best way to do this is for all of us to work together. And I have the, the utmost respect for the other families. Um, many of us have different opinions. Many of us have a different message, but the end goal is all the same. And you have to realize that in this work that we do, we would not know these people in our normal lives uh, had we not experienced this all together. And on top of that, they're grieving and grief for your child um, changes you in many, many ways. And so some days we are at the best of ourselves and at other days, we other days we're not. And so it's hard to gather us all together, but that was very important to me. And with a little bit of uh, understanding and a little bit of resistance and uh, a lot of hard work, we were able to come together and create something very beautiful and meaningful to our angels and to bringing awareness and prevention to other people. Uh, it, in the beginning, to me, it was just about stopping fentanyl. And as time passed and more people died and the issues grew, it can't just be about stopping it now because we've created, this drug has created so many problems, right? Uh, so if I had a magic wand, that would be the first thing I would do is stop the flood of this into our country. But now we also face other issues. We face an addiction rate like no other. No other drug has uh, done what fentanyl has been able to do. We're losing every age range, like you mentioned in the beginning. Even little babies, you know, that are getting into these pills that belong oh to my gosh. adults um, and our young people. And so it was important to me with this day and so many opinions and so, so many different ways of advocating that, that we center on the prevention piece with Facing Fentanyl. And that's the project that I started for the National Day. Um, and we that's the center of this project is prevention and awareness because I know for sure that our youth are the people that are going to be, uh, they're the next solution makers and we need them and they, they should be our most important group of people, our young people. That's where all of our resources should be at a time like this when it's so dangerous to be their age in our country. Yeah. Um, People that are don't know about dangerous drugs are experimenting or 
maybe don't even think they're taking a drug at all, a street drug. They just think they're taking a medicine in some cases. Yes. They're dying from these deceptive counterfeits. And then we have the people that were already using or now have begun to use with this drug that are addicted at onset, first pill. And so if you live, uh, you're for you're forever addicted to this and re the recovery rate is is quite slim with a drug like this yes and as a result we have a high rate of addiction so now we have that to address and what i've seen is that people that aren't willing to work together on these issues that are headstrong with one way uh aren't making it too far they're not making too much progress there's so many different uh, aspects to the fentanyl crisis that we need a lot of solutions, not just one. Different things yeah. work for different people and we have to work together and we have to be open-minded. We, we've never seen a drug like this. And so there's not a handbook on how to deal with this. And we all know that we didn't deal with the other drug crises very well either. <laughs> so no. we better there. And we need to be more open-minded, but keeping in mind that this drug is the most deadly and that we've seen and uh, other deadly drugs are being added to it now, which I can't even imagine that it can get even worse, but it is going to mm -hmm. with xylazine. Like xylazine, yes, xylazine and even carfentanil and yes. everybody, you know, all the additional and versions. Exactly. And now we see it in marijuana, even though they tell us it's not happening. We know it is. And we have parents that will vouch for that. And and the data that's so poor, right? You know, we have these horrific numbers and these numbers are not just numbers. They're people's children, their mothers, their fathers, their sisters, and their brothers. These are, yeah. you know, and, and we, we know that those numbers are fall short of what the real numbers really are. Are, are so we have to do better at this and i feel like right now we're complicit i think there are many uh people in our government that i feel are almost participating because they are not actively working this and there is a point where when you know so much and so many people have died and they're vanishing before our eyes really um and there is no action then you you become the problem too yes i totally agree with that i urge uh everyone to act anyone everyone because it's such a large uh problem that we need everybody to do this in one one way or another and i think that our families whether they have organizations like mine and or they put out a facebook post or maybe they just tell someone all of those things are equally large they all make a difference and we just need everyone's participation. And so what I built with the national day would really be nothing if we didn't have the participation of all these families, they make it work and they come together across the United States um, as one and put the word out, you know, in times square the other day we had, we were there for an hour and a half. And I got a media report yesterday and it showed the media hits that we had from that hour and a half. Okay. And in an hour and a half, we had 151 clips go out of media for that day. That's a lot. And we had almost 2 million viewers <gasps> across the United States for those and then another almost 2 million in the state of New York and then almost a million for the other for radio and social media those things and that's from just the hour and a half now imagine if you put together all the billboards I have a bill a media team for facing fentanyl of, of mothers that put their time and efforts in making thousands of graphics and uh getting billboards across the United States and uh, making banners they had 50 billboards they sourced 50 billboards to put up with our wow messaging. that's amazing not to and, mention and tell them what's on tell tell our audience what's on the billboards some of the billboards uh have our angels on them 
and the national day observance and you know the fact that one pill can kill or uh, fentanyl is the leading killer in the united states they built a beautiful campaign but where, where i'm getting to with all of this is that we do this as families with zero it is our time we don't have there's no big financial support somewhere right. there's no budget somewhere well, the government isn't funding this for us. We're yeah. doing this of our time and resources. So with nothing, we reached millions of people in one day. And that's thanks in thanks to the other families uh, working together and doing this together. Now, imagine if our federal government came in with their resources for one week and did what we did for an hour and a half. How many people in this country would know about fentanyl? And it could be that simple. If we can do it with zero dollars and uh, just our resources at hand, how hard would it be for the United States of America to get this message out there? It's so disturbing to me that something that is so preventable uh, could be dealt with. And not that we can save every person or stop every person from using drugs, but we sure could warn a lot of people and at least educate them to make better decisions than they are making right now and save a lot of lives. So Absolutely. it is Absolutely. It's just disturbing to me, very disgusting to me that we, we don't. Mm -hmm. So these families to me are the reason that this issue stays at the forefront and we will continue. Uh, we've already begun planning for next year in New York with the help of our federal partners. And we've been doing a lot of work uh, with DEA, but also with our other federal partners. And there, you know, we have an we have this idea that if we have these certain partners, these uh, like federal partners that I'm talking about that we can just do anything right because we think they can do everything they can't <laughs> their, their, their hands are tied in a lot of ways and they are asking for our help and they give us credibility by standing behind us they give us credibility so it's a two-way street and we know that the jobs they do like dea for instance their job is going out there and getting the big guy right and that that top distributor and now they've opened their doors to us and to our families, but they're not trained on grieving families. <laughs> yes. So we're careful. And so we need to try to make their job a little bit easier and they in return can help us. And so that's what we're trying to do with law enforcement and some of our other federal agents, agencies. And we all know, you know, when first responders are out there, firefighters, uh, my husband was a firefighter and you become jaded because you see horrible things every day. Right. And so sometimes there, you need a reminder of what's on the other side of that face you're dealing with. And that's us. And so working with our federal partners and working with law enforcement, I think is a very good way to bridge that gap yeah. and uh, motivate them to do the best job that they can knowing that they're stopping other people from experiencing what we have. So parents, families impacted play a very big part in that. And I have, again, the ultimate respect for them. You, you, you know, you've met already some of our greatest advocates in this, um, in fentanyl, you, you know, Amy and Jaime and Jim and Michael and, and many others and all of those people have made great contributions to this work and so many others so we'll just continue to do that i'm the biggest fan of our parents people that have had the worst thing imaginable happen to them and they still get up every day and try to do this work i don't even know how that can be for me, it's been a lifesaver. It's the most admirable thing because um, no one can do it with um, with all that you've been through. No one can do it better than a parent who has lived through this or a sibling who has lived through this. You know, 
you you take your pain and you turn it into activism and it's one of the greatest um way to honor the people who have left us that's what i believe i i i agree you know seeing our angels looking down on us on in times square it was hard to even speak and i had to start talking as soon as that billboard started right and <laughs> our sound went down and it was, you know, the first one. So it's like a trial run, right? We'll do it better next year, but, and you're in the loudest corner of the country. Yeah. And so we started screaming it out and there they were. And that's what makes us continue to do this every day. Right. And, and then looking around you in this year, you know, talking about all the aspects of fentanyl and what it's, you know, all of the different problems that we're facing, the deaths, um, grandparents raising grandchildren. We have a, you know, I've had my grandson since birth, but there are families out there that are seniors raising one or two or more children. Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. They've lost their parents to fentanyl poisoning. The, those are issues and the addiction and, and the crime, uh, the lack of accountability. There's so many things, the need for help and recovery. So there's so many issues now, but I began last year working with um, Michael Fiore and I was having my home event was going to be in Denver, Colorado that I'm from Colorado. So we were out at the Capitol area having our event and I had all the fancy names there, right? The DOJ and the Haida and all the people. And I, uh, was introduced lucky enough to be introduced blessed to be introduced to michael fiore and michael is from brooklyn new york he was living in california oh, he had wow. just entered recovery uh, and i saw a little bit of his work and what he had to say was great it was a little rough but he had a lot to add to the message and he came brought him i brought him out to my event and I instantly fell in love with what he had to say. And he was there hoping to learn from us, but instead we learned from him. And we had a letter out to the president at the time asking for him to address the national security crisis, asking him to address the public health crisis. And Michael was calling that letter a petition and he was doing a lot of social media about it. And he didn't quite have it on target, but he was doing well. <laughs> and so the evening before our event, uh, we were going to dinner and we were talking and he said, I need to show you something that I just got, that I just received. And somebody had replied back to his uh, post about the petition. And it was a person that was actively using and homeless. And uh, they made a video in response to Michael's that said, please go to this website, please sign this letter to the president because we're dying out here. And when I saw that, I'd been so hesitant this whole time to work in recovery because you see my daughter was an alcoholic. I and see. so that's where the pancreatitis came from. And it was very painful for me to work in recovery. And I don't know about recovery. Um, I... I don't know about recovery and I had tried so hard to help my daughter in every way that I could. Sometimes you feel like you love them to death because you couldn't help. Right. And ironically, you know, she had another addiction, but this pill still took her life. Uh, so when I saw Michael able to reach people outside of this bubble that we live in as fentanyl, advocates right sometimes you're just singing to the choir and we already know what fentanyl is we need to be out of that bubble and reach the public yes so i began working with him and what he did is brought in the, the recovery community to walk with us share our same message and uh bring some hope into this because we don't see hope i see a lot of these faces are all after it's too late the people i meet it's too late for yes and so working with people in recovery has brought some hope 
in uh, to this picture and their lived experience is just as important as ours. Michael goes to schools with me. He's very, you know, it just is very emotional to him when he sits at a table now with us uh, and with our federal partners or, uh, you know, who we think of as prestigious partners, right? Because he can't imagine the life that he lived, you know, 20 years of being addicted to heroin and wow. living on the street or living on the subway and now sitting at tables with DEA or Homeland Security or being presented a, a certificate of appreciation from his state senator, those types of things. Wow, that's so great. I love, I love seeing it because see, none of those things to us, um, Although people are very kind to us and we work with a lot of lovely people. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain it, but to him, we, you know, we wouldn't know any of these people if we had not lost our children. We certainly would not be working with DEA and security and all of those things. Uh, And we're, we're grateful, but not, not impressed by very we just need to we need help and so we're not looking for anything fancy anyway michael uh sitting at these tables is it's a joy for him because he what he lived and what he now sees of his life is so very different and i'm so very proud of him and that he took a chance on us and and it's ironic to sit with him and know his story and see how far he's come. And I myself know that before my daughter died, I may not have wanted to associate with someone like Michael in this capacity. He's my most trusted partner, uh, aside from Amy and Jaime that I work very close with. uh, And I love them to death. But uh, on a daily basis, Michael and I work together and he has been an asset to our work and our family amongst other things. So I truly believe that if we pull in our recovery community, as much as the affected families, these are all the people that should be sitting at the tables. And I would like to see them sit in those seats in those important seats. I would like to see all of us, our affected family members and people in recovery sit as legislatures, as people that make these decisions instead of, people that don't have any lived experience and do not have a stake in it like we do, or don't think they have a stake in it like we do. Right. No, I I definitely have always believed that the people who are the closest to the issue are the ones who are going to change it and who have the most uh, knowledge and unfortunately the most pain that makes them want to do that. And I just admire that so much. Um, Advocacy is a major, (laughs) it's a major, major event uh, that goes on for years and changing laws, you know, writing laws, designing laws that work, um, having people in your corner who have the power to get this done is really what we yearn for. Yes. You know, you know, I, I think about, you know, when we first started this national day and a lot of people that I spoke with to, to bring on us in support of the day, you know, said, why do we need another day? (laughs) We don't need another day. And I'm thinking to myself, we're losing hundreds of thousands of people. How do we not recognize this problem? And why would you not want a push altogether? Because we all work prevention every day. That's what that's what we do, these organizations and these families. But we needed to come together in force. We needed to be as loud as we could in one day and affect as many people as we could. And together we could do that. And so there were a lot of naysayers. And, and that was just one year ago. And we worked hard to uh 
received this resolution. It was unanimously signed. And the idea that we have a Senate resolution that observes the day this year and every day, every year after, that's phenomenal to me. Because in it this is. moment in history, when we suffer so bad from this problem, from these drugs, um, we need to think about all of the lives lost, all the families devastated, and how we can do better and how we can all work together. And so a lot of this information is in that, you know, uh, in the resolution, all of our partners that we hope to work prevention every year and observe it and observe or observe all of those people that we've lost and the need for drug-free communities or uh, prevention for our youth. I just love that. I, I, although it doesn't bring anybody back and it doesn't stop the flow of fentanyl uh, like we want it to, it does observe all that we've lost. And that's really important to me. It's a bittersweet thing, but it's very, very important to me. But I also think that just having it available, you know, just having it so people become a lot more aware um, is, is another great part of this. You know, people who have never heard of fentanyl before, you know, they don't even know what it is. I was speaking, uh, I wrote something every week on social media. I post about the recent episode and somebody DM'd me and said, um, I'm over in England and I never even heard of this, you know? And so I said, well, go to the beginning and watch them all <laughs> because you do need to know. We have no idea if it's going to creep into England or not. Well, and we know that now we know that that it's in different parts of the world and other people are being affected. And, you know, if we're not talking about it here, imagine what it's like in other places in the world. Right. But we certainly have to address uh, where this is coming from. Oh, without a doubt. And so, you know, our are these precursors coming from China Uh and there's no restriction or accountability for a country that is killing so many of ours. And of course, these narco terrorists that are distributors that are flooding our country with this and making it available, uh, these counterfeit pills. Coming up from Mexico. Yes. I mean, this is something that has to be addressed. We cannot allow this. And when we have such a disregard for human life in our country, what does that say about us? And how are we not, I mean, we should be revolting against something like this because until it happens to you, you don't get the magnitude. But now we know uh, that one in 10 people in the United States has been affected in some way by opioids. And so it's just growing and growing and growing. And again, those numbers always fall so short of what reality is yes. because we don't know how to measure all of this yet. So we've got to do something and it's coming through every, every border, right? Legal, illegal, open air. Uh, it's coming in by drones, by the mail. It's coming in every way. And so we have to do something about this. And so I hope in this next election uh, that's coming out uh, or coming up that this is addressed by every candidate. Uh, we will certainly be posing the question to them and we want to meet with them. We feel strongly that we have a place in this fight and nothing about us without us. Right. We have yeah. a voice. We want to know what you're going to do. And, uh, so we hope that that's not ignored and that that plays a very big part in uh, whoever the standout candidates are this year. And well, we still it's, it's, it's not that difficult to contact every single one of them with a questionnaire. Uh, 
of what exactly you want to see in legislation and what their commitment will be to, you know, stop the flow from China, stop the flow from Mexico. And once you get all that detail, you put it on your website. Yes, we're in the process of doing that right now. Yay. <laughs> and you tell everybody what their responses were. That's People right. need to know that. I would like to see a team of our family members sitting in a debate asking these questions. <laughs> that would be amazing. I noticed that uh, when they had the last debate a week, yeah, a week ago, uh, fentanyl never came up. Drugs never came up. Well, that, anno I that really annoyed me. That annoyed I, me. Well, I have to take your word for it because we were getting ready for the national day and, and our had just, it was in, it was in the mix there somewhere. And we yes, well, your day was Monday and this was Wednesday and you needed to re relax. <laughs> we, we, were <laughs> traveling, we were traveling back. And when we returned, we had a documentary set for the day at start to film the day after we returned home. So really today wow. is my first day that I've got my feet on the ground and I'm not running around in a, a tailspin. Um, but, you know, again, we just, we start again today. We've already had those meetings to uh, work on the next year. But there's a lot of things coming up for families in the next month. Uh, there's an important week in Washington at the end of September. Yes. And there are rallies that happen there. And so many of the families go to these rallies. There are two of them on the 23rd. And so many families will be in Washington for that. And then we have the family summits uh, in DC. And so many of us will be there for that. And we've got a lot of other things planned uh, through facing fentanyl for that week. So there will be, our families will be there. And I hope that they're, they're heard. And uh, are they making appointments to go see their respective uh, senators and congressmen? Some of them might be the rallies fall on the weekend. And so no, but I mean the week after, like maybe Monday or the Friday before. We do those type of things. And so I'm sure there's other families that do that or other organizations. And um, so many people are limited for time. We're hoping to, uh, we've been working with the American Truckers Association. Ooh. And I'll tell you that they are the first uh, corporate uh, sponsor that we've had that's just reached out and said, how can we help? And they have a big voice in legislation. And imagine how many trucking companies that we have across the United States. Yes. Um, and they are going to take our messaging and, and they're going to take it to the road. So soon you will be seeing trucks, semi-trucks that are wrapped with our messaging from Facing Fentanyl. Oh, and I love it. I love it. And all made possible by the American Trucking Association. And they are so active in so many different issues. So I appreciate them uh, so much because, like I said, we didn't even need to reach out to them. They found us. And, and that is so admirable to me because when I talk about all hands on deck and needing everybody in this fight, they're a perfect example of a company coming forth, uh, an association coming forth and saying they want to do something about this. And so highly valued. Phenomenal. Phenomenal because um, year, years ago, I had truckers put these magnetic plates on the back of their truck that said, we support the Foundation for Grieving Children. And that was a while ago. So I'm so glad that you've gotten the support of the whole association, you know, that's well, that phenomenal an idea. So I'm going to, I'll be calling them up tomorrow with that idea too. <laughs> Another way to do that. That's a great idea. Yeah. So if they aren't able to completely wrap the truck, they can get these plaques, um, you know, they're magnets and yeah. And they oh, put it put it on the back, put it on the back so the people who drive in by see it. That's perfect. I'm gonna suggest it. Uh, but they've they've been wonderful, you know, and they're not phenomenal. Just they and at the bottom it. you put your website. That's right. And and so they're wonderful. So we hope to see more of that for these other organizations that are out there and uh, ours and theirs and 
you know, we need help. We need to work with people that um, can contribute uh, their experience mm-hmm. or their audience, right? I've got a friend, Derek Maltz, that is always talking about uh, influencers. We need them. Yes, you do. Always actively searching for influencers to spread this message. And we need them. So we're always looking for other people to work with and um, hope to keep our minds opened, open and uh, able to, you know, continue to work for solutions. We would mm-hmm. never want to close ourselves off and take a risk of not being able to come up with a solution uh, from being pigheaded, right? We just want to <laughs> <laughs> move forward here. So I appreciate you so much having me and uh, many of my friends on your show to express how we feel and learn about, you know, what's happening to so many families across the United States. And I guess that, that I told you a little bit about the national, the, the, the public health crisis and the national security crisis, which is now becoming a humanitarian crisis, in my opinion. Um, because so many families are affected, so many families are suffering. But, and, I, and I'm sure that my friends went in depth on those issues in their interviews, but I would like to, I would like to, I like talking about our families because I know that they're the ones that are keeping this at the forefront and they're so very strong and doing so much work across the United States, so. I like people to know that and to protect their own families. Talk to your kids. If you haven't already, don't wait. There's no perfect time. Do it now. Turn this off and go talk to your kids right now. Um, It could be the conversation that saves their lives and be open and willing to hear. Uh, Our kids most of the time know more about what's going on than we do. Yeah. Um, Regardless just open your heart to that conversation and listen and, and show them the stories of people impacted, whether they're in recovery or families like ours uh, that you can see in dead, like dead on arrival. The video yes. that we- I was just going to say that Jaime stop the void.org. You can yes. find it there. And they have made a huge contribution with that video to our advocacy work. I think it's one of the best tools that we have out there. Yes, I agree with that. I push that all the time. You know, it's only 20 minutes and um, it's phenomenally done. It's just, there is a, a, a place where Steve shows you um, how many pills it takes to kill yourself, how many granules of fentanyl it takes, you know, how much uh, heroin it takes you know, but when you see the last one where the is only a little baby granules in fentanyl to kill you, it really does shock you if you're not, if this is the first time you're ever seeing that. And to hear their uh, stories, you know, I can never get over Amy talking about Alex. I've seen it a million times in my work. I can never unhear Jaime screaming out for Daniel. Or Steve asking, posing the question, if you knew about fentanyl, you know, talking to his daughter, in essence, why did you still do it? Right. And Matt also, you know, talking about taking those photos and always seeing the person that's missing instead of the person, the people that are in the photos. Yeah. And that's what it's like to be in this situation. And so I... I impress it upon people to please, please, please talk to your family and uh, help your community. That's where we can make the biggest difference that's immediate, you know, and uh, helpful until we can get our government in here to do harder work. So thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. And I want people to remember to go into the show notes where I'm going to put down all of uh, Andrea's links and she um, can be reached at her Facebook group. Um, but really take the time to look at facingfentanylnow.org. There is so much information on that site. And for her other her other site, Voices 
voicesforawareness.com. Um, but the Facebook group is very active and there are families on there who communicate with each other. If this has occurred in your life, it's if, if this has happened in your life, you really want to connect with other mothers and other fathers and siblings who are like you, who can understand you, who can give you comfort. Because the very best person to be around when you're in agony is another mother or father who knows exactly what you're going through. And when they say that to you, they mean it. It's not uh, like someone who comes up to you at the funeral and says, oh, I lost so-and-so. I really know how you feel. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> you just don't. You know, and we try to be nice, but underneath our breath, we're thinking, no, you don't. So friends and family, I thank you for listening in today. Please, please subscribe, rate, share, comment. Let us know if this has affected you and what you thought of this episode and give our best to Andrea for all the good work that she does for everyone else. And I thank you very much for being with me today, Andrea. Thank you.